This episode of Shaun of the South is brought to you by Case Knives, a tradition of my family dating back to my granddaddy who once said the best cure for idle hands was to build something. So keep your hands sharp with a Case Knife and by Folklore Brewing and Meadry, quite literally the best brew in Alabama. Visit FolkloreBrewingAndMeadry.com. Here you are listening to Sean of the South, and I'm your host tonight, Sean Dietzapier, coming to you live through the podcast airwaves and radio waves all over this fine nation, this good-looking group of folks you see behind me here tonight, fix to play music for you, is Backline, everybody, Backline. Tennessee Peanut Company. Are you anxious and feeling tired or unhappy? Do you have frequent bouts of forlorn complacency and existential angst that leaves you exhausted, drained, grumpy, and depleted? Well, I have good news for you. Try the Tennessee 
peanut companies, Down Home Peanuts. For 10 out of 12 doctors recommend Tennessee peanuts to aid in digestion, increase circulation, improve well-being, and actually give you the vigor to get up and go. <laughs> Tennessee Peanut Company brings you an array of roasted peanut flavors to suit all your body's essential peanut needs. Burn your tongue on Nashville's sweet and spicy peanuts or satisfy your sinful needs with double-dipped chocolate peanuts. Enjoy flavors like Cajun Bayou Bites, Honey Roasted, Chipotle, Traditional Salty, Sea Salt and Cracked Pepper. And when you have room, try some classic peanut brittle. Your pancreas will thank you. <laughs> Whatever you do, make sure you satisfy your peanut needs with the Tennessee Peanut Company. Visit TennesseePeanut.com. Now let's have another tune here from Backline Bluegrass Band, everybody. Backline.
going to read you a little bit of our mail, a little bit of our mail sent in to us from listeners all over this fine country. I had nothing better to do than to put pen to paper or finger to keyboard or thumb to phone screen and tell us a little bit about what they're doing in their life or what's going on or sending us legal letters asking us to cease and desist under threat of legal consequence. <laughs> Merritt from Concord, Massachusetts says, Sean, I have a small dog who sleeps with me every night every single night and finally my cats have decided to start sleeping with me too which means now i have four animals in my bed this morning i woke up to see all four animals strewn around me and there was hair everywhere it was paradise oh and did i mention that i'm also married and my husband sleeps in the other room because he says not only is it hard to sleep with so many animals in the bed but we all snore at the same time I didn't believe it until he recorded us all on his phone snoring at the same time. It was such a loud noise. I don't know how I stay asleep. <laughs> Thanks for the wonderful show. Your listener, Mary Collins. Well, Mary, all I can say is make sure you don't breathe in too much cat hair because I heard that cat hair can cause hairballs in humans. Aaron West, Mobile, Alabama. My brother recently introduced me to your podcast since I drive a lot for work. And after listening to so many episodes over the past week, I thought you might like this story. 
so I will share it with you. Easter Sunday has always been a day when my father's side of the family gets together for a big Easter egg hunt. But about 10 years ago, my mama decided that she was going to make some homemade ice cream for everybody on this particular gathering. Now, a little bit about mama. She is known for her no-bake German cakes and her frozen Tyson chicken McNuggets, if you get my drift. She's not much of a cook. When we gather, it's a large family potluck, and so you eat as you please. And Well, well, one year when my two uncles got to the ice cream that my mama had made, they noticed something was real off about it. But being good sons-in-laws, they just snuck it into the trash can and discarded the ice cream without making much of a fuss. My older cousin, on the other hand, is the family loudmouth. And after his first bite, the mouth of the South could not keep it to himself any longer. He yelled for Mama while trying to figure out what the chunks were in this vanilla ice cream. She explained that the recipe called for eggs, a lot of eggs, but she was not about to put raw eggs in the ice cream, so before putting them into the ice cream, she scrambled them and mixed it all together. <laughs> well, everyone got a good kick out of that and her explanation. We have not had homemade ice cream since. <laughs> I thought you would like to hear this story. Truly enjoy listening to your podcast. Hope I get to hear this on the podcast one day. <laughs> Sally from Michigan. Here's Sean, my sister in Hudson, Florida, directed me to you. I'm so glad she did. I totally enjoy listening to your shows. I still live in Michigan, but we'll be visiting the Forgotten Coast very soon. Do y'all have any plans to be there? Well, dear Sally, no immediate plans, although I was asked to do something in the Apalachicola Theater. No plans soon, but stay tuned. I will say this, though. You cannot find a better place on God's earth than the Forgotten Coast. Enjoy your time down there. Chelsea, Shepherdstown, West Virginia. I had thought this yesterday while I was exercising in the gym and listening to your show in my earbuds. I wondered if you had ever been to Shepherdstown, and if not... I really think you should come. You see, there's a lot to do here, and we are very, very proud of our heritage. The historic Shepherdstown Museum outlines the town's origins of the Civil War history that is here. In Sharpsburg, Maryland, not far from here, the Antietam National Battlefield was the site of a very important but brutal Civil War battle. It's worth seeing, and of course, there's always the Potomac River, which is worth the price of admission itself. Just wanted to let you know about all this and to extend the invitation Thanks for the show. Well, dear Chelsea, thanks for the invite. And all I can say is I hope you don't think if I do visit Shepherdstown anytime soon that I'm going to be accompanying you to the gym because I would rather die a slow death being gnawed by crickets. <laughs> Helen Andrews in Alabama says, Hey, Sean, I just wanted to let you know that I'm so enjoying the podcasts. I do, however, wish my hubby was here to share the show with me because we always enjoyed listening to the radio. But perhaps he is watching or listening from his place in the sky. My husband always had a wicked sense of humor. and He would give folks that he knew or didn't know nicknames. And he'd always share those private names with me and we'd laugh about his observations. But one of his things that made me laugh the most was something we called Dolly-isms. And it all started with our little peekaboo doggy who weighs seven pounds. 
that she once went to my sister-in-law's and her big gray cat, Jeffrey, attacked my dolly. She jumped on her back and with sharp claws dug into Dolly. Well, when we got home, my husband started speaking for Dolly. And he said in a very high-pitched voice, how many times do I have to tell y'all I don't like cats? And well, he just had to be there. It was hilarious. After that, every time David wanted to say something that was sort of mean, my husband would use a dolly and he'd speak in the dog's voice. Dolly said that she was going to bite the jerk who pulled out in front of us. Or Dolly said that she was going to pee on the grave of the person who cut him off in the slow lane. <laughs> Dolly said that she was going to do this and do that, and so on. It was hysterical. At her death, my husband and I both vowed never to have another doggy. She was tiny and blonde, and her name, Dolly, came from the fact that she looked very much like Dolly Parton's wig. She would literally ride on my husband's shoulders, and she did that from the very day I brought her home from the lady's house. Dolly was hyper. The old lady was not. I miss seeing you and Jamie, and I really miss those hugs from your shows. Many hugs and kisses, Helen. Well, Helen, I look forward to seeing you again soon. Sandy in Tallahassee, Florida. Dear Sean, I'm not sure how I discovered you, but I added you, your Sean of the South, to my mother's radar. And I'm happy I did, because Mama will be 94 next week, next Wednesday on January 26th. She was raised in South Georgia, specifically Valdosta, and has lived in Tallahassee since 1947. Everyone calls her Honey, a name which she acquired when, she, when her first granddaughter was born. Everybody, everybody calls her honey. And she loves it. Most days she asks me if I have read your column yet, and then she proceeds to tell me about it. Some days she feels as if you are writing directly to her. Her name is Salida Joyce as a birth name, even though they call her honey. And if you really know her and don't call her honey, you can just call her Joyce. I know that's confusing, but anyway. What I wanted to know is if you would wish her a happy birthday, because it would make her day. I wanted to invite some of her longtime friends over to the house for cake, but decided against it because of the times we're living in, which are so uncertain. She was understanding, but kind of disappointed. Anyway, I won't bore you with the details. Just wish her a happy birthday for me, would you? Of course I would. And I'd like to say sincerely from everybody here tonight, dear Mama or Salida or Joyce or Honey, happy 94th birthday. Chris in Lake City, Florida. Lake City, Florida. Dear Sean, I love your articles in our local paper here. I work in Lake City, Florida, and I work in the fish and wildlife, and every day on my drive to work, I see this guy standing on the corner of Baya and 41. He waves an American flag every day, and I think it's interesting to note that it's not a political flag or a flag to cause division. It's just an American flag at this busy intersection. I think it's wonderful because while the motorists honk their horn in patriotic glee, it gives me a smile to see every morning he is a proud American. And I feel compelled to ask myself, what can I do to make this day better for everyone, including the fish and wildlife? 
The flag guy on the corner is a particular hero of mine because he inspires waving a flag. Thanks to all you guys out there listening to this who waved the flag. And to everyone, please keep waving. Keep, please keep waving. And please come visit us, Sean, in Lake City. Please visit us soon. Your pal, Chris. Well, dear Chris, thank you for the letter. And may we all wave the flag of human kindness and love in any way that we know how, in ways that are easy, in ways that are hard, and especially when we don't feel like it. And that's letters from our listeners. Letters from our listeners. And now let's have another tune here from Backline Bluegrass, everybody. Backline.
The weather in Florida has been such that it causes people to lose their faith in a loving God. <laughs> because the weather is all over the map. We don't know what it's going to do anymore, so we've given up trying, which means we have given up in many other regions and areas of our lives. Because you need to have one thing that's dependable in your life in order for you to have a surface that is tough enough to skate on for which you can base the rest of your decisions on. You have to have decent weather or else you begin to lose your compass in life. Last week, it was so cold that Starbucks resorted to serving coffee on a stick. <laughs> the week before that, it was so hot that people were out raking their leaves wearing nothing but their skivvies. And the week before that, it had been so cold in the panhandle that old-timers said they could not remember a snow like this in roughly 78 years. 78 years back long, long ago when it snowed in the panhandle. It's gone a long time without snow, and then we broke the spell, meaning that once the worst has happened to you, it either opens up the door for something even worse to happen, or it closes the door and it, it, it ushers in a brand new era of prosperity. The fact that you don't know means that you live your life in a kind of spiritual schizophrenia. <laughs> and that's where, that's where we are. It's this kind of uncertainty. Nobody knows what's coming. Nobody knows when it's gonna come, how it's gonna come, or whether it will come. That was actually pretty profound what I just said. Sister Karen was in the First Baptist Church, and she was in that little, little back room, the fellowship hall with the water spots on the, on the ceiling, and the linoleum floors, and the foot-operated water fountain, and the little kitchen that was an afterthought to the building, which was constructed in 1927, and all of the appliances are harvest wheat-colored, that special shade of yellow that resembles puke or infected urine. And she was organizing the casseroles on the table. The casseroles on the table have become her, her constant in life. Now she has three casseroles she makes better than anybody else in the entire region. She makes chicken divine, which is a unique combination of broccoli and curry and, and cheese, I believe. And she makes rice savoy, which is really one part rice 19 parts butter. <laughs> this dish has so much butter in it that when, when the folks at the Winn-Dixie stockings who work behind the freezer in the stocking section know that she's about to make this, they set aside an entire box of Land O'Lakes butter for Sister Karen. <laughs> but it's worth it. It's worth it. You eat just one bite of this stuff and you will be up for seven days straight with indigestion and you'll consume an entire jug of Rolaids. <laughs> and she makes, she makes a casserole which she calls chicken cheese casserole, which is really just a variation on a theme in my church, a variation on a theme, uh, which all originated with Sister Ruth's hot chicken salad casserole, which came to us in 1939 when she had leftover chicken salad that was about to go bad, but did not own an ice box. And so she popped it in the oven and she put cheese onto it. And it was, it was known as the first hot chicken salad casserole. Ever since then, 
Women have been have been putting their own twist upon the hot chicken salad casserole, and it's it's a it's the mark of a cook to be able to take the same ingredients and do something different with them. And so you can pretty much tell where the ladies line up as far as their cooking abilities by how they make their chicken cheese casserole. Sister Karen was adjusting these casseroles on that table for the Women's Coalition and Bible Study Potluck, which takes place every Friday night. They used to meet on Wednesdays, but they moved it to Fridays because the Girl Scouts started using the the fellowship hall on Friday on Wednesdays, and the Boy Scouts used it on Thursdays, and so the Women's Coalition of Bible Study moved to Fridays. And they always bring a little bit of food because several of the women in this class who all look the same and who all kind of come from the same background have developed diabetes. And so they're their blood sugar is a little wonky, and so it's important for them to keep, to keep themselves stabilized. These are the kind of women who you can look at, and you can just see your whole childhood in front of you. Sister Karen is the kind of woman with white, frilly, coiffed hair that is a style that has not been changed since Lyndon B. Johnson was in office. She is the kind of woman who wears embroidered sweatshirts that say things like, I'm a hot grandma. And she wears lily white, blindingly white kids oversized on her feet and a brand of polyester pants which has not been seen since the days Florence Henderson was on primetime. <laughs> this is what she looks like. And it really does give you an idea of what she is like because you can see a woman like this and remember all of your golden memories running behind that church and playing in Peach Creek and climbing on the roof of the First Baptist Church when nobody was looking and trying sincerely to give your best friend a concussion by, <laughs> by trying to suggest that it's not all that hard to build a giant paper airplane out of 4,000 sheets of taped together paper that can support a human mid-flight. <laughs> Some of the First Ladies started to show up to the Bible study, and they were, they were there sitting down in their semicircle. They always sit in a semicircle. And these ladies, they all have quilted Bible case covers that they've made themselves. And some of them bring their needlepoint in when it's time, when there's a lot of waiting involved. They'll bring in the crossword puzzles or cryptograms and wait on the other ladies to come in. There's 14 ladies in the group. And that night, as they were waiting, and the last of them were arriving, this young man walked through the fellowship hall and everybody's eyes were upon him. He was pushing a large push broom and he had earbuds tucked tightly into his ear holes. And so he wasn't very aware of the 14 women of God who were staring at him with their quilted Bible covers in their laps and the hot steaming line of three casseroles. He was just doing his work he was kind of bobbing his backside a little bit to the sound of the music. And there was something very strange about this man. Beneath his, his janitor blue shirt with his name tag embroidered on his chest in red and white, which said, damn, there were tattoos on his bare flesh. And the most disturbing of which was the tattoo which came up the right side of his neck 
and curled around his ear, the snake, and its tongue just kind of went right into the ear hole. There were other tattoos that were equally disturbing on his right and left forearms that snaked down to the tops of his hands, and there were tattoos on his fingers. There was a tattoo coming up the center of his neck right around his collarbone, and these were not benign, innocent, little Panama City tattoos. These were the kinds of tattoos that were done sing-sing style with a guitar string that was fashioned into a needle that was borrowed from, from the guy in the rec room and that was salvaged big pen ink as the ink underneath the arm from the prison warden. These were prison tattoos. These were prison tattoos. Sister Karen saw this man pushing his push broom through the room and they watched him clean the the baseboards, and one of the ladies said, who is that? Another lady said, I don't know. Surely that's not the new janitor. Another woman said, I can, I can see a naked woman on his forearm. <laughs> oh yes, it was scandalous indeed. Women had a hard time focusing that night of Bible study, and when Bible study was over, Sister Karen went out to her Lincoln in the parking lot, and she just kind of sat there for a little while waiting. She's the kind of woman who does just about everything at the church. Sister Karen was the first to initiate the flower arranging committee. She worked as a church secretary and has outlasted at least 12 ministers in her time here. Pretty much, Sister Karen does everything at this church except preach the sermons. And she lingered by her Lincoln, leaning onto the fender. It was getting cold out. She looked at the sky and she wondered if it was gonna snow. And she heard whistling in the distance and she heard the jangle of keys. And she saw Dan, the new janitor, trotting out of the church after he turned off the last light and he was walking through the parking lot and she could see his breath vapor coming out of his mouth. And she called his name, and he came over, and he said, well, hello. And she said, well, I just wanted to introduce myself. I was the facilitator of tonight's Women's Coalition and, and Friday Night Bible Study, and I, I just wanted to introduce myself. And he held out his hand. It was a big, meaty hand. And then he started to walk away as he said goodbye. And she said, well, where are you going? He said, well, I'm uh, walking home. She said, oh, well, I, I could give you a ride. He said, no, I, I really wouldn't want to be any trouble. I wouldn't want to be any trouble. Sister Karen stepped toward him, and she wrapped her arm around his, hooked his, hooked his arm around hers, and she squeezed it tight, and she looked up into his eyes. He was a tall man. And she said, how about you come to my house? I'll make chicken cheese casserole, and you can tell me all about yourself. This is how a churchwoman gains another victim. It's very, very hard to turn down a woman who says she's going to make chicken divan or chicken cheese casserole or rice savoy. And so Dan agreed. Now life was really never the same after that. So he crawled into her Lincoln. It was luxury such as he has never known before. Oh, it was nice. Oh, it was nice. And they talked on the way over. And she learned a lot about him when she dropped him off that night. She learned that he... He had just gotten out of prison 
early after doing some time, but he had big dreams. He wanted to go to college. He wanted to get a car. He wanted to save up and get his own place. He wanted to get married someday. He had dreams just like anybody else. Well, she let him off. She reminded him. She said, please be at my house. Be at my house, let's say, Sunday after church, and we'll do Sunday dinner. He said, okay, I'll be there. Sure enough, after church on Sunday, she went home a little bit early. She avoided the altar call, (laughs) which is something she has been doing for many, many years. She figures that there's really not much of a need to have an altar call in a church full of 29 different individuals who all know each other and are all second and third cousins. (laughs) And she's heard the song just as I am, all 765,000 verses of it played every Sunday ever since she was two years old (laughs) and could actually write the Broadman hymnal by rote if she were pressed with the task. So why, why stick around for the altar call? She went home, she started preparing her casserole, the chicken cheese casserole, the staple of that little church. And she placed it on the table, and sure enough, when he arrived, his nose hit the air and took one whiff in. He said, what is that glorious smell? She said, it's chicken cheese casserole, and I'm known for it. Come on in here. And he sat down at her table, and they had the most wonderful conversation, the most wonderful conversation. And the more she got to know him, the more she saw underneath those tattoos and realized that those tattoos just didn't even truly exist anymore. They were just little colors of pigment on the skin. They had nothing to do with the inside. Before he left, after he'd stayed for a long time, she said, I'd like you to come and join us on Friday for the Women's Coalition and Women's Bible Study. He said, really? She said, yes. She said, uh, there's free food there, and I think you, you, know, you could really have some fun with us. Well, he kind of looked off into the distance, as was his habit, and seemed to be thinking to himself, what kind of fun is involved when a 25-year-old man meets with women who are over eight decades old? <laughs> but because the food in his belly settled so well, he agreed. And that Friday, when the Women's Coalition and Bible Study got together, he showed up, and he was very sheepish. He'd gotten his work done early. The new janitor had gotten his his work done early, and he slipped into the fellowship hall with the waterlogged ceiling, and he sat down on one of those old brown folding chairs, the same folding chairs that are in every single church worldwide, uh, from South Africa all the way to Winnipeg. And on his lap was something very curious. It was a quilted Bible cover. And some of the first stragglers started to show up with their cryptograms and their crossword puzzles and their needlepoint and their crochet work and their knitting. And they sat down and they saw him sitting in the middle of this, at the edge of this semicircle with a quilted Bible cover on his lap. And they started looking at each other, these women in the coiffed hair brigade. And they, they said, Who, what, what, what is he doing here? They were very quiet about it. These are women who are not, they are not amateurs when it comes to keeping the gossip mill going. When Sister Karen showed up at the very, very last, she did this on purpose, she sat down and she announced that there was a new member of their women's Bible study and coalition group. A new member, that's how she said it, brand new inductee. And she made him stand, Dan stood up, 
And she said, I'd like, you to meet, I'd like you to meet our newest member. This is Dan. Dan gave a little head bow to everybody, and the women kind of exchanged looks, and they gave the old AA greeting, hello, Dan. She said, Dan, tell us a little bit about yourself, said Sister Karen. He said, well, uh, I just got out of prison, and uh, I'm, I'm here trying to get my life right, and, 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 uh, and your pastor, Brother Ernie, saw fit to give me a job. He didn't know me from Adam, and he was kind enough to give me a job, and I just want to do my best to make him proud, make everybody proud of me, and he sat down. Well, the women all sat down and they flipped their Bibles open to the book of Ruth where they were living out their frustrated marital fantasies through Ruth and Boaz's story. <laughs> and they found that they really liked this guy. They really liked him. When it came time to eat, they all ate together and they found themselves kind of laughing. He had a good sense of humor. He was a real nice guy. And then when, it was, when the eating was over, they did their prayer request time. They always do prayer requests. These are the women who control the prayer chain at the little church and type up the emails, the prayer request emails that go out. And everybody raised their hand and they asked for prayer for the grandson or the grandkids or their, their husband who was not feeling so well ever since he'd been diagnosed with this or that. And Dan raised his hand up, and he said, I have an unspoken prayer request. Well, everybody kind of looked around, and unspoken. Hmm. They got to be real good friends with Dan, real good friends. And they started to kind of ask him around a little more often. Next thing you know, Dan was at people's houses. He was lifting heavy bird baths, and he was, he was, doing lawn work, and he was painting old faded clapboards in their ladies' houses. And they'd ask their husbands to do these kinds of jobs back and forth, day in and day out, but as you know, once you ask a man to do something, there's no need to hassle him for the next nine months to do it. He'd get to it when he can. <laughs> and Dan became sort of part of everybody's life. And eventually in time, he was even typing up the prayer request emails and sending them out to the entire church. He became a real, real asset to that little women's coalition and Bible study group. And then came the day, not very long ago, when Dan got sick. He didn't show up one night to Bible study. Everybody looked around and asked each other, where's Dan? Where's Dan? Sister Karen said, he's, he's not doing so well. We need to pray for Dan. Dan has hepatitis C. He got it from a fight when he was in prison. He got some infected blood. And he's got cirrhosis of the liver and they don't expect him. And everybody exchanged looks with wide eyes. What? Well, the next Friday at the little local hospital, about 14 women came bursting through the double doors and walking down the sterilized corridors of the hospital, carrying 12 by nine casserole dishes in their hands and quilted Bible covers in their other hand. They 
burst into a room at the very edge of the hallway where a nurse was checking the blood pressure of a young man with tattoos lying in his bed. And the women positioned their chairs around his bed, these fold-up lawn chairs they had brought with them in the trunks of their cars, so that they were positioned in a semicircle around the bed. And Dan's eyes fluttered open. He said, what is going on here? And one of the ladies stood and she said, Dan, what's it look like's going on here? We're having Bible study. And Dan looked at them and his voice began to quaver. He said, did anybody bring chicken to van? <laughs> Sister Karen stood up and said, does a bear drop his drawers in the woods? The ladies laughed and told stories, and they really didn't get to any Bible study at all. All they did was tell stories that put a smile on old Dan's face and made him happy. And they came the next day, and they came the next day, and they came the next day. Until Dan's eternal soul was called up into that everlasting place of light and gold, where time shall be no more, and the glory of resurrection. And at the funeral, there were only 19 people in attendance. There was a pastor, there was an associate pastor, there were 14 women from the Women's Coalition of Bible Study Group, and there were three men standing on the periphery, way at the edge, but just close enough to be able to hear the preacher's words. And there were men cut from the same cloth as Dan had been. There were men with denim and boots laced around their ankles and one was wearing a wife beater tank top, and the other one was wearing a T-shirt with the name of a heavy metal band on it. And there were tattoos snaked up their arms and coming up their necks. And when the service was over, one of the men came up as the women were taking turns throwing handfuls of dirt into the hole in the ground. And one of the men, Sister Karen said, tell me, how did you know Dan? And they said, well, we were, we were friends. And then one of the men asked, said, tell me, who are all these ladies? And, and how did Dan know all these older women? Sister Karen wrapped her arm around that man's arm and hooked arms with him, squeezed it real tight. She looked into his eyes. She said, how about y'all come to my house for dinner? I'll make chicken Devon and I'll tell you all about it. This is how a church woman gains another victim. Yeah, thanks very much for having me. It's been wonderful. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening to Sean of the South. I've been your host tonight, Sean Dietrich. And it really has been a bona fide privilege coming to you like we do each week live from these podcast airwaves and radio waves all over this nation. This episode was brought to you by Case Knives, a tradition of my family, dating back to my granddaddy, who once said the best cure for idle hands was to build something. So keep your hands sharp with a Case Knife and by Folklore Brewing and Meadry, quite literally the best brew in Alabama. Visit FolkloreBrewingandMeadry.com. That excellent music you heard behind me tonight was Backline Bluegrass. Caitlin Guardia, Chris Williamson, Travis Tucker, Zachary Carter, Milam Williams, and Clint White on the fiddle. To find out anything more about what they do, you can visit Backline SC for South Carolina. Backline SC. 
Com. There you can find all sorts of stuff about what they do, who they are, and you can download their music today. I promise you, if you do such a thing, you will not regret it. To find out anything more about what I do, you can visit SeanOfTheSouthShow.com. There you can find archived episodes from our first episode, dating all the way to this episode, which you just heard. Although I don't know why, you must have terrible taste in podcasts. And while you're there, I hope you take the time to drop me a line, tell me about your birthday announcements, wedding invitations, and potluck socials. And I'll do my best to read that sort of stuff over the air for my friends, because I love to do that sort of stuff for my friends. Speaking of friends, friends, friends may come and friends may go. And some may peter out, you know. But you will be my friend. Peter out or peter in. Adios. Adios.